Afghanistan, Algeria, Armenia, Egypt, India, Iran, Iraq, Israel, Kurdistan, Lebanon, Pakistan, Palestine, Syria, Turkey, Jordan. Welcome to Radio Intifada. Voices from Calcutta to Casablanca. Voices of struggle. Voices for change. Bringing you news and analysis of people's struggles throughout Southwest Asia and Northern Africa. Brought to you by Swana Collective. KPFK Pacifica Radio. 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. And 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara. And streaming live at kpfk.org. Hello, good afternoon. My name is Nima Ardla, and I'm glad to be bringing you another program from the Swana Region Radio, the South and West Asia and Northern Africa Collective here at KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Me and my co-host, uh, Professor Hamoud Salehi, another collective member, Associate Dean of International Education at California State University, Dominguez Hills, are glad to be talking to Professor Abbas Vali. He is from Mahabad, Eastern Kurdistan, the Kurdish region in Iran. Professor Veli has a PhD in sociology from University of London and taught at the University of Wales and is a retired emeritus professor of uh, political theory at Bosphorus University. Presid- uh, professor Veli also was the president of Kurdistan University in Erbil for three years at the very beginning of the fo- uh, founding of that university as well. Uh, Hamoud and Professor Vali, welcome to our show. As always, I um, ask our listeners to keep supporting KPFK, keep supporting uh, this show, other shows, or whatever your favorite programs on KPFK and Pacifica are, to keep us on the air. We are doing this. Me and Hamoud have been doing this for over 20 years, and... uh, and we are glad to be bringing you these programs. These are the voices of the voiceless from Calcutta to Casablanca, as our theme says. Now, today we'll be discussing Iran, the recent events in Iran, the uh, nuclear talks with uh, Professor uh, Abbas Vali, and uh, we hope that uh, we can uh, continue speaking with Professor Vali uh, in the future to see what the outcomes of uh, these uh, negotiations, the nuclear talks with Iran are going to be. Hamoud, would you like to start uh, with the first question? Well, well, of course, Niman, thank you, uh, Professor Vali. It's a pleasure having you in the program. Let's start a little bit uh, uh, from Iran and looking at the impact of sanctions on the Iranian uh, working class, uh, on the Iranian middle class. As you know, in many parts of the world, when sanctions are imposed, they really don't affect uh, those who are responsible uh, for what's happening or what allegedly as the sanctions were designed for. So the question is really straightforward. What's your assessment or how do you uh, assess uh, how the Iranians uh, cope or are coping with this with the economic crisis that they are going through? Uh, the impact of uh, the American sanctions combined with the UN sanctions 
on uh, the Iranian society, on the fabric of Iranian society has been absolutely immense. Uh, it has uh, devastated uh, the very foundation of Iranian uh, industry. And when the industry is working uh, at best about 35% about of this capacity, so that means that there has been a serious uh, impact on the industrial working class in Iran. And uh, the industrial era working class has been laid off, impoverished, and uh, in a sense has uh, joined uh, the, if you like, uh, the army of the paupers or pauperized people in Iran. And this is uh, no doubt we can see the impact also on the sectors of the industry which are still functioning, and we see daily demonstrations and strikes by the Iranian uh, uh, workers. So they express their uh, dissatisfaction, their opposition, their uh, discontent for not having uh, wages uh, to meet the basic demands, with these basic requirements of their family. Aside from that, the, if you like, the most important, in a sense, immediate impact of it, aside from the working class, has been on the, the, of the sanctions, has been on the salaried middle class. Uh, more or less, it is, uh, it is safe to say that it, the sanctions and uh, combined with the, the very uh, if you like, uh, a devastating mismanagement of the economy by the government has uh, uh, demolished the ranks of Iranian uh, salaried or modern middle class. And they are uh, joining uh, the army of the, if you like, uh, the poor uh, by hordes, by the hordes every day. And uh, this is the most alarming uh, sociological change which has been happening in the last 15, 20 years. But now it is reaching its climax because uh, the Iranian middle class is uh, basically is, is disappearing, the industrial. The, 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 and this is, uh, you can imagine the impact of it on what we call the civil society in Iran. The civil society is uh, shrinking also in certain ways, uh, it's being most uh, radicalized. Mm -hmm. Aside from that, the sanctions uh, have also, we must say that although it is true that sanctions when they're imposed, they hurt sectors of society and population who are not in a way at all responsible for the imposition of sanctions. But in the case of Iran, I think the sanctions, uh, particularly when they were intensified and uh, you know more sanction in addition to the United Nations sanction, in addition to nuclear sanctions that had been imposed in the time of, uh, you know, in the Obama administration and before, and then subsequently it was supported by European and so on. But when uh, 
the Trump administration, if you like, reneged on the agreement with Iran and broke the agreement and moved out of the nuclear agreement with Iran and intensified sanctions. Clearly, this has had a very important impact on the power structure in Iran, on the power uh, block in Iran. And uh, primarily, it has uh, its impact has been of what may be called the logistics of uh, political power. And in this case, the logistics of political power, which supports what they call the strategic depth of Iran. And it's the strategic depth of Iran, which is uh, defined by the government, in a sense, where uh, the power goes. In this case, it includes Iraq, it includes Yemen, it includes Syria, it includes South Lebanon, and also activities in parts of Africa, and confrontation with Israel and American power in various fronts. Now, the sanctions have uh, the, the beginning, you know, to have or not, they began, they have begun, and in fact, for some time now, having impact on the ability of gover uh, Iranian government, the, the Iranian regime, to back up this strategic depth and its policies by the required economic, by income that it gets usually got from the oil. And also it got quite a lot of money after reaching agreement with the Obama administration over the nuclear weapons and so on and so forth. Now that income has been cut and Iranian government, which has primarily operated in Syria, in Iraq, in uh, Yemen and in South Lebanon <clears throat> via its proxy powers. And these proxy powers, although they are claimed to be ideologically committed to the Iranian message and Iranian objectives, but they need money to be supported. And this money is now in short supply. So a very short supply. So that means that era, the sanctions have also had uh, in considerable impact on uh, the uh, on those or ability on the regime which is fundamentally responsible for this uh, confrontational policy and uh, this uh, you know this uh, furthering this uh, what is called the strategic strategic depths in the region confrontation with Saudi Arabia with the uh, Gulf states with uh, the Jordan with uh, you know, controlling more or less uh, sectors, important sectors of uh, 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 Lebanese uh, society, uh, Lebanese society, economy, and polity. So yes, I think I would say sanctions, as I listed, has had very important impact on the socialist structure of Iran. Also, has had impact on uh, the. Uh, if you like, the ability of the power block in Iran to further its uh, policies outside. And inside Iran, clearly, the regime has, uh, as a result of uh, sanctions, has failed considerably in meeting uh, the demands of the population, which was a crisis, which uh, what may be called in the regime really in the 
a sphere of what may be called biopower, where the regime has to meet the daily requirements of the population. Regime has failed fundamentally, and also it has uh, the, the, this failure was compounded and reinforced by the pandemic and uh, the regime's failure to deal with uh, the pandemic. So I would say the situation in Iran, inside Iran, now we are in, the, in a classical situation of a systemic crisis where the crisis of legitimacy, which very much always uh, was part of the Iranian, uh, if you like, uh, political field, polity, now has moved to a further stage and it's basically taken over the entire society. I see. If this situation continues like that, there is uh, little doubt that uh, the regime will be unable to run its affairs. At present, ever since uh, two years ago, more or less in, uh, I would say, after uh, in, after uh, December, January uh, uh, uprisings in Iran, which was uh, very severely and bloodily put down, uh, the regime has fundamentally abandoned its claim to legitimacy. And it is uh, basically operating by force and uh, repression. Now, uh, this, and, this puts us uh, in a good position for the next question, Professor Valley. Now, we, yeah. we, we begin this year, 2022, with uh, the resumption or a continuation of the nuclear talks with the, uh, you know, uh, after the assassination of uh, Qasem Soleimani, and that's already mm -hmm. in the pages of history, an attack on Iran is unlikely. Where does yes. this leave the opposition and minorities? I mean, one would logically uh, think that they want the talks to fail, but uh, do you have that feel? I think we, all those who are in one way or another standing in opposition to the regime would wish that these talks either fail or kind of agreement which uh, is reached would include not just the nuclear, uh, if you like, issue. It will include also the question or issue of the human rights in Iran. It will also include the issue of uh, delimiting severely the activities of the Iranian regime or influence and activities of Iranian regime in Iraq, in Syria, in uh, the entire uh, Middle East, so to speak. Uh, therefore, yes, uh, they what, what they fear is that, just like uh, the time that when the agreement was reached uh, uh, with the Obama administration in uh, uh, 2015, then the Iranian assets were released. The regime revived. And this revived was not that the regime started using that money for uh, dealing with the economic crisis or dealing with, if you like, repairing aspects of the damages done by the sanctions or so on and so forth. But most of that money was put into furthering regime's interest in the, regi in the region. To that extent, 
the critics of the regime are correct, that if this is a kind of unchecked and unreserved agreement with Iran over simply the nuclear issues, I don't think the Iranian opposition, or for that matter, the Iranian middle class and the Iranian working class who are who have been suffering and targeted by these sanctions in a way, they will be seriously unhappy. They do not want an agreement whereby this regime will be able to consolidate its power. Well, thank you for that. Uh, now, um, go ahead, Hamoudi. I, I think you have the next question. I think maybe uh, in the same context, uh, Professor Valley, uh, when you look at Iraq, uh, a close ally of Iran, uh, we have uh, domestic politics in Iraq, in Iraq these days is changing a little bit. The, uh, we have a new prime minister and uh, the relationship with Iran in that context has been somewhat uh, questioned. I wonder uh, whether uh, the kind of cloud, or the, ki- the kind of uh, uh, relation, uh, uh, was it influence that the Iranian regime has had on, on Iraq will continue under this new prime minister and perhaps uh, in, in the context of Iraq politics today? I think, as I said, Iraq is uh, the, in the forefront of what is called the Iranian strategic depth. And uh, if the Iranian power, Iran, the power of Iranian regime is deprived of it is, um, its uh, economic financial uh, resources, it is uh, hard to do, imagine that how it's going to be able to continue on the same scale as it did before. Because uh, largely Iran operated via its proxy powers. And those proxies are paid agents. And once uh, the money doesn't come, is not available, their relationship with Iran will be loosened. And also, the changes which are taking place inside Iraq shows that there, there is a will and it is a drive. Obviously, I think Saudi Arabia Saudi Arabia and Gulf states and also Europeans and largely also the United States of America are behind this policy of trying to isolate the Iranian, uh, the pro-Iranian forces there by uh, bolstering and by, uh, if you like, helping and uh, helping the forces which are more centrist and can take uh, hold of, uh, if you like, uh, uh, in the, uh, the, the Shi'i community, which is the main problem, so to speak there. Shi'i community is the majority community and Iran has a significant influence there. And this influence has been largely established by uh, via these proxy forces and by economic favors, financial favors, military support, and so on and so forth. And uh, which has, in certain ways, Iranian policy, which started largely after Obama administration pulled out in 2011 and 12 from Iraq. And uh, this policy, which was uh, Iran basically 
entered the vacuum that was created, power vacuum, which was created there. And by spending a lot of money by, by uh, furthering its cause, by, by uh, Kutz uh, force and so on and so forth, uh, there they created in this zone of influence there. This zone of influence had a devastating impact on the Sunni community. This, the, Kurds, the Kurds there had their own patch, had their own autonomy, had their, in certain ways, had their own resources, and also in certain ways had their own particular relationships with European powers and with the United States of America. They managed a kind of maintaining a certain balance with Turkey and Iran and so on. So they were in a sense saved, but the Sunni community was largely, largely marginalized and in certain ways was uh, crushed. And uh, now is, I think uh, that this, we see that there are developments in Iraq. There is a certain, although not very, power, not very powerful, signs of revival of uh, Iraqi Arab nationalism and that this Iraqi Arab nationalism clearly would be sort of very beneficial to the Sunni community. And also what is important is that the what it, who or the force which is, seems to be spearheading that is uh, part of the Shi'i community, which was uh, form, formerly an ally of Iran, but it is not now, or at least it seems that it has uh, turned to, towards Saudi Arabia using Saudi money and the Gulf money and so on. Namely, I'm talking about here uh, Muqtada Sadr and his uh, forces. I think uh, these uh, forces, if they are supported and if the nuclear issue doesn't supply Iran by uh, immense amount of money again to revive its influence in Iraq and uh, its waning influence in Syria, then uh, we shall see, we will see a decline of uh, Iranian power in Iraq and uh, Syria. In Syria, particularly, if we move there, it is uh, particularly critical because uh, it is not just only, uh, if you like, uh, the situation there, it's the decline of the strategic, you know, objective of Iran, the, the strategic depths of Iran, but also the Russians are uh, continuously checking Iranian power there, although it is uh, an ally there, but uh, Russia doesn't want a power, you know, kind of an all-powerful Iran there. Mr. Ghali, before, before, before Anima, if I may, just a clarification. Uh, some have suggested uh, that with Sadr winning the elections, becoming more powerful than he was, uh, are su suggested uh, that that has an impact on the Iranian re uh, relationship with Iran. But I haven't seen, uh, and, and I'm just wondering if you could a little bit talk about the idea you said, the, the rise of Arab nationalism. Now, I know the Saudis do, do help, uh, the Emiratis, the Qatar, everybody helps. But the connections for uh, to, that we have a new wave of Arab nationalism do you mean the Iraqi Arab nationalist, meaning that there is this division between, you could say, Sistani or those who are of Iranian background or of Shia, uh, you know, the whole religious uh, debate or uh, mm. Najaf versus 
was it uh, home? Uh, is this? Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the, the idea of the rise of Arab nationalism and whether you meant uh, differently than than Iraq is now shifting away from the the, the power of uh, the religious clergy. Yes. I, I'm not here, uh, you know, referring to Arab nationalism as a kind of a nationalism with pan-Arab objective. I am meaning uh, a nationalism which is confined to the uh, geographical boundaries of Iraq. Thank and uh, this nationalism clearly has, uh, you know, the, the Sunni community is very much involved, but it is not that significant at the present. But sectors of uh, Shi'i community in Iraq, and particularly in Baghdad, and also we see in other, you know, predominantly Arab uh, cities and so on, have been, you know, involved in voicing and their voice there, uh, you know, and it was, uh, at the time when these protests started, uh, uh, Qasem Soleimani was still alive, and uh, he was uh, he was said to be, if you like, masterminding the opposition to these protests by basically shooting protesters uh, down. And this is backed up, this claim, by uh, referring to what he said at the time that uh, in Iran, we know how to deal with protests like this. In Iraq, they're not dealing with that properly, which obviously, because it came after the uh, December uh, uh, and January uprisings in Iran, in which reputedly up to 5,000 people were killed. Some would say 2,000, some would say 2,500 but the opposition claims around 5,000 people. And in fact, eyewitness would say that, you know, they were indiscriminately shot down in Iran. But uh, uh, Soleimani was, uh, if you like, proposing the same strategy in Iraq. And in a sense, also in the beginning, they, were, they, they went for that strategy, but it was not continued. So uh, what I'm trying to say is that uh, the Iranian policy and the Iranian presence in Iraq seems to have uh, actually uh, created uh, a kind of opposition even among the sectors of the Shi'i community in that respect. Aside from uh, the religious cities, which are very much economically, uh, I mean, cities which, you know, they are the home of uh, religious shrines, so to speak, Najaf, Karbala, and uh, so on. And uh, these uh, cities, which very much depend for, uh, on a, an American mercantile community, which depend on uh, the coming of pilgrims and from Iran and other Shi'i sorts of communities, there still seem to be reservedly uh, against uh, being, doing away with, uh, with the power of Iran in that area. But uh, now that I think uh, the force which was spearheading, spearheading uh, Iranian uh, power and politics in Iraq, namely the Quds uh, force and its leader, Qasem Soleimani, which has been seriously undermined in terms of its power and influence, I think the arena is uh, more open than before 
for change in Iraq. But this change by no means, it's a very contingent uh, outcome and it cannot be said which way it goes. I think very much, uh, you know, depends on the wider uh, political scene of the agreement between Iran and uh, the United States of America and uh, Europe, of course. Now, uh, uh, Professor Vali, uh, uh, Professor Vali, I'm sorry, uh, and Hamoud, uh, we are at the end of uh, our uh, radio segment. I have a couple of other questions. I'd like to uh, continue this uh, on, uh, on, on, on the uh, Zoom meeting with you, and then we'll publish it on YouTube. For our Swana listeners, and thanks to our engineer Jose for helping us today, and uh, thanks to our listeners, please uh, stay tuned uh, for the music hour, and also uh, don't forget to tune into Swana Region Radio next week. And uh, thank you both. Voices from Calcutta to Casablanca. Voices of struggle. Voices for change. Bringing you news and analysis of people's struggles throughout.